0: Hi, I'm Bobby, and I'm your friend who knows just a little bit too much about pop culture. Welcome to your weekly meeting of Pop Culture Fanatics Anonymous. The spooky season brings about a celebration of all of our favorite horror icons: Freddy, Jason, Frankenstein, the other mother from Coraline, Mr. Monteverry is from the live-action Scooby-Doo movie. You know, horror icons. For me, however, the reason for the spooky season is vampires. They're in films, books, television shows, plays, vampires are everywhere, and I simply gobble it up every single time. But I'm not the only one who loves vampires, a lot of us do, and what's not to like? They're mysterious, chaotic, alluring, and 9 times out of 10, very hot and sexy. And if you take a look around, we're right smack dab in the middle of a vampire media renaissance that includes this year's release of The Invitation in theaters and the premiere of Anne Rice's Interview with a Vampire series on AMC. And trust me, we will be talking about both of those in extensive, grueling detail. Our love affair with the vampire has gone on for centuries, and we come in contact with them in a plethora of TV shows and movies, and this week, we're taking a look at some of the most iconic pieces of vampire media and getting to the root of why we're so enamored by them. And you may have noticed that there is a part one at the end of the title of this week's episode. And that's simply because the pop culture obsession with the vampire is far too big to fit into just one episode. So consider this part one, and next week we're gonna pick it up with part two. And part two might have a couple of surprises that you might not be expecting. So it's all vampires all the time until Halloween here at the Afternoon Special Podcast. So if that sounds good to you, let's get started. So before we sink our teeth pun intended) into vampires in contemporary times, we've got to go a little bit farther back and answer the question of where did they come from in the first place. And we find that answer to that question in the 15th century with one Vlad the Impaler. Vlad the Impaler was Prince of Wallachia, which would soon become modern-day Romania, and he was known to be a pretty bloodthirsty and vicious ruler. Now, old Vlad wasn't seducing peasants in dark alleys and draining their blood. No, he was a little bit more... direct. There are estimates that Vlad was responsible for over 80,000 deaths by impaling during his reign. A 2021 National Geographic article about him sums up things pretty well. Quote, Vlad III's cruelty was real, but his reputation as a villain spread through 15th century Europe thanks to the printing press whose rise coincided with his reign. Propagandist pamphlets written by his enemies became bestsellers. Centuries later, the sinister reputation of Vlad the Impaler took on new life when Stoker came across the name Dracula in an old history book, learning that it could also mean devil in Wallachia, and gave the name to his fictional vampire. Now, the Stoker mentioned in that quote is Irish author Bram Stoker, the person responsible for Dracula. Yeah, Vlad the Impaler inspired Dracula, which is often considered a very foundational text for most vampire media. Flying forward, the film and TV journey of the vampire begins with a long line of silent films, with the first showing of the vampire on screen being 1909's Vampire of the Coast and 1931's Dracula in the era of the talkies. Nosferatu and Dracula are two films that were pretty influential in establishing the ever-changing lore of the vampire, which included sleeping in coffins. And they were a part of the first crop of horror movies and aided in inventing the movie monster. The credit of creating the movie monster really does go to Universal, and I think that might have to be like a TikTok video or a newsletter at a later date, because it's really, really fascinating. As the decades went on, the vampire continued to evolve in film and television, and in the 70s and 80s, we began to see the vampire break out of its shell and dip into other genres, like in the teen horror flick The Lost Boys, and even appearing on Sesame Street with Count Von Count. The 80s especially found the vampire straddled between scary and sexy. We hadn't quite fallen head over heels for them yet. They were still objects of fear versus objects of affection for us. And then, in the 90s slash 2000s, vampires got sexy. A major part of vampire lore is their ability to seduce their prey. The 90s slash 2000s vampires cranked that up to an 11, especially the Anne Rice vampires seen in 1994's Interview with a Vampire and 2002's Queen at the Dam, who were alluring, powerful, and very, very hot. I'd like to take a, a brief tangent to, to tell you a story um about this era of vampires and uh how I kind of got into a bit of a, a spat with someone on Twitter about it. So um if you follow me on Twitter, this number one, this episode comes as absolutely no surprise. Um I have been talking at nauseum about vampires um since forever. I've been talking about them quite a bit. I think it started when I saw the invitation. Um, which like I said, we'll get to that a little bit later. Um, but then it, it just, it cranked it up when Interview with the Vampire, the television series, which again, we will talk about later, premiered officially. So needless to say, I do love vampires, but I got into a spat with someone on Twitter because I mentioned that like, oh, like I, I am a hot vampire enthusiast. I think someone was asking for my thoughts on like, there's a new Nosferatu, um, you know, as re reimagining, a re-adaptation, a new version of the film coming out. And uh, I think they cast Bill Skarsgård in it. And I was like, oh, you know, I'm kind of, I'm much more of a, a bigger fan of his brother's vampire kind of filmography or, you know, like, showography than, than him. Um, cause he, you know, has only kind of played scary monsters. Like he is, he is Pennywise. He is it, you know what I mean? Um, so I was like, eh, I don't necessarily know if Nosferatu is going to be kind of up my alley with, you know, fitting the hot vampire enthusiast criteria, you know? And someone who I did not know, um, like came out of nowhere and was just like, why do vampires have to be hot for you to care about them? And I was like, I mean, I I grew up with Anne Rice vampires and and Twilight, like vampires have only been hot to me, like they've, (laughs) they've never been, like, scary to me, because I've only kind of grown grown up in an era where they were supposed to be objects of affection, like objects of desire and lust, like, obviously, yeah, like. I don't know. I'm a fan of hot people. I don't feel like that's a controversial statement, but I digress. But they kind of went back and forth with me for a while and were just saying, like, yeah, like you're you're missing out on vampires if you're only limiting yourself to the hot ones. And I was like, yeah, okay, I'll take that, I guess. Like I'm (laughs) like, I, I, I think that there was a twinge of them trying to guilt me into feeling bad for only liking this subsect of monsters but I'm like no I like hot people that is I just do I'm a hot person enthusiast like you know burn me at the stake for that controversial opinion but um yeah I like hot people and I like hot vampires and I'm gonna get into it later but part of the allure of vampires is their is their sensuality is their sexuality like vampires are inherently sexual creatures you know and I don't feel like again it's that controversial of an opinion to only like the hot ones. But you know what? Guys, if me saying that I'm a a hot vampire enthusiast makes you think differently of me, I I get it. I get it, I really do. I I will take that one on the chin. I've made my mistakes, I'm not perfect. And I hope that you will accept me for who I am. Thank you so much but um i i just i thought i'd share cuz that was it was insane like it, it i it it escalated rather quickly um like at no point was i trying to convince this person that i was right for only liking hot vampires um and at one point i was just like yeah i mean vampires are like kind of inherently sexy like that's kind of the point of them um And I don't feel like that's too controversial of a thing to say. And they were just like, yeah, I can't be bothered to argue with you. And I'm like, well, good thing I wasn't arguing with you. (laughs) Like, this seems incredibly one sided at this point. But you know what? To each its own. Do your thing, superstar. But uh, yeah, that was very strange. It was a very strange interaction. And it's truly no hard feelings. Like, I get it. Like. There's plenty of vampire lore out there, um, where it's not, like, totally centered in the vampire being an incredibly attractive person, but I just enjoy the hot ones. I'm sorry. Anyways, we move on. Um, but I want to take another, a little brief tangent to talk about the Anne Rice vampires, because they are very near and dear to me. Um, my, my love affair with vampires began with her, her world of, of the undead. Um, I'm trying to remember where it all started it probably was the 1994 interview with the vampire starring thomas cruz and bradley pitt um they at the when i first saw that movie i remember going to i think it was like it was to walmart and it was in like the five dollar (laughs) bin and i picked it up um And that used to be like my favorite thing to do, like going to Walmart and picking up like a random $5 movie or like picking up my favorite movies that always happen to be in the $5 bin. What does that say about my taste? We don't have time to discuss that at this point, but I remember getting it and watching it. And I was like, I feel like I gained sentience in that moment. Um, Like I literally was just like, what am I watching? For the first time, I was accosted. I was aghast. Like I was like, <gasps> you know, like I just had that first moment of like, this is so hot to me. And I don't know why. <laughs> and now I do. I get I get the subtext that's going on there. But I watched that movie and I loved it. Um I've since gone back and watched it. And it doesn't quite have the same fanfare as it did when I was little, obviously, because I'm, you know, A grown person now and have watched far better far sexier things but it still holds a a very near and dear place in my heart to me um my my favorite of the the current lineup of Anne Rice uh vampire movies because who knows if they make they'll make more um I doubt it but who knows um is is Queen of the Damned I love Queen of the Damned um mainly because and the only reason I watched that one it wasn't even that it was, you know, Anne Rice Vampires. It was the fact that it starred Aaliyah, who I love. She is queenie to me. I love her so much. And I went through a phase in middle school where I was obsessed with her and I wanted to watch all of her movies. Um, tragically, she was only able to do two, um, because if you remember, she died in 2001. Um, but she did Romeo Must Die, which was like a, like a Kung Fu, like action movie starring Jet Li. It was really good. And she did Queen of the Damned, where she played Akasha, who was the queen of the damned. She's the queen, like she's the mother of all vampires. She's this ancient Egyptian queen who is kind of the, she is the root of all vampires. And she is absolutely bloodthirsty and vicious and insane and hot. And it's just like, Again, I had another one of those moments where I like gained a new level of sentience (laughs) with with watching that. And it's still to this day just one of the just the hottest things I've ever seen in my life. Like it's just so the story the movie itself is not that great script-wise. It's not good, not that good. Um, it stars my least favorite Lestat in Stuart Townsend. Sorry. Um, but also if you go on his Twitter. I'm actually not sorry about that. He is it's, it's something strange is happening there, but whatever. Yeah, he's my third favorite or third I don't want to even say he's my third favorite list at because he's not my favorite. He's not my favorite list at. Um the ranking obviously for me goes Sam Reed, Tom Cruise, Stuart Townsend, Avi. Um, but he's not my favorite Lestat, but at the time, like I still appreciate the movie for what it was. Um, there were many, many elements about that movie that I was like, oh yeah, this is not that great. And I even knew that before I, you know, kind of gained a, a new level of critical thinking around film and everything, but it's not that great of a movie, but I quite enjoyed it. And it's still, it's still pretty, it's a good watch for, for Aaliyah as Akasha alone, like Akasha is hands down the best part of that movie and she's not in a lot of it when you go back and watch it. But either way, um, the Enrise vampires, like I said, they mean a lot to me because they are just so much of a showing. they're There's just a beautiful representation of what vampires are um, to us in in society, vampires are mirrors to humanity. They are kind of a reflection of us. And that's with any if you're a fan of horror, you know that horror is oftentimes a a mirror to, you know, real societal fears, depending on whichever genre it's about. Um, and vampires and, and movie monsters in general are no exception. They are the other, but they are the other that we can't find ourselves quitting. And the and Rice vampires Really do embody that idea. I think she was very like prolific in the fact that she included, you know, like queer characters and in her in her in her her books, which eventually would make their way to the screen, um, both the, you know, the big screen and and the small screen. Um, you know, she included like characters of color, like Akasha being an Egyptian queen, obviously she's going to be black. Um, so like including characters of color, including queer characters, like obviously, you know, was it perfect representation? No, but the fact that they were there means a lot. And I think it meant a lot to a lot of people, including myself. So yeah, always will have love for, for an Anne Rice vampire. And like I said, we will get to the interview with the vampire series because that has brought me right smack dab back to when I watched interview with the vampire, the movie for the first time. And now I'm going back and reading the uh, interview with the vampire novel from 1976 uh, for the first time in full. Like I, fun fact about me, I was gifted the book by my first ever boyfriend in high school Um, It was not a good relationship. So obviously, I did not read the copy of the book that he got for me. Uh, So I bought it for myself on a Kindle. And I'm reading it now. And I'm really enjoying it. Um, It's interesting to see to read the book uh, with the backdrop of the show and the movie now, because it's very, very different. But I'm still like having a really good time. And so Always will have love for an Anne Rice vampire and always will have love for a vampire series. that's kind of like set in the, you know, like American South, which we will get to that a little bit later. But I think that was part of the the allure of that, Um, that and True Blood, both of them are set in the American South, which is a very specific place to set a story like that. Um, And there's a lot of, you know, deep lore in and of itself within the South. So I think setting it there, um, combining the rich lore of vampires with the rich lore of the South is just so, it was brilliant. And, you know, Anne Rice was one of the first authors to to do that and, you know, then to bring it to, to the big screen. So yeah, my little tangent on Anne Rice vampires, but love them so much. So obviously after Interview with the Vampire, Queen of the Damned, you know, during this time we also obviously got movies like blade and everything like that but i think the next and most prominent perhaps showing of the vampire in film specifically was uh 2008's twilight i mean what what could be said that hasn't already been said about twilight Twilight could be credited with causing a vampire renaissance and we were able to reassess our decades long affair with the vampire from being something to fear to being something to lust after or even in some cases aspire to. I, it's no surprise, I was a Hard when I was a kid, I read, I think I read the first two books, I read the first two books, I've seen all the movies, I've seen New Moon multiple times, I remember going to the theater and watching that multiple times, like, it was a happening for me, and fun fact, another fun fact, I'm sharing a lot of things about myself this episode, because vampires were crucial to my My development, my growth and development as a young woman. And so this episode is pretty, pretty personal to me. But for so many years of my life from, uh, oh gosh, from maybe beginning of middle school to well into high school, probably like junior year of high school, I had two posters in my room. Just two. I was never a lining my entire wall with posters type of person. I had two posters. One was for High School Musical 2, and it was on the back of my wall or the back of my door, and I saw it every morning leaving for school. Um, and the other was a Twilight New Moon Jacob poster. Yes, I was team Jacob when I was younger. Um, and that poster sat in a much more sinister place, which was my, if I could give you a mental picture of my room, my bed for the most, I changed around the setup quite a bit. So, but for the most part, my bed sat in a, the bottom left corner, if we're imagining like a, a, a rectangle, my bed sat in the bottom left corner and the poster was like hung up kind of a corner in the top right corner. And it was, I wish I could describe it. It's Taylor Lautner making this very like determined face. And so imagine a very determined Taylor Lautner staring at me essentially <laughs> from my bed. <laughs> like the first thing I opened my eyes every morning and I saw it was, was Jacob. <laughs> it was Jacob just staring back at me back at me every single morning every single morning without fail and I think it might have been like well into junior year of high school where I was like I should take this down um and I did but it it was it was up there for a long time like it stayed up there for quite a while so I, I like Twilight quite a bit and it's weird that I'm in in going back and recalling my time as a Twihard um that I was I was team Jacob and I truly think I was team Jacob and this this tracks uh because i thought taylor lautner was so hot and i was convinced that i was going to get married to him um like our love affair really started with shark boy and lava girl um and cheaper by two. so i was like oh of course i'm gonna root for my boy my man in in twilight <laughs> again like i said i'm consistent if nothing else like give me that much I'm consistent. But yeah, we cannot like kind of, you know, me and my personal anecdotes aside, we cannot degrade the the impact of Twilight especially within pop culture. I mean, it, it it was everywhere. And the crazy thing about it is the first movie is actually like a it was kind of like considered an indie kind of kind of. You know, it's not an indie proper, but it was definitely a much different Feel like what we know twilight is like you know being this kind of teeny bopper film the first film doesn't really feel like that all that much and i think it's because it was written and directed by women and so obviously the, the tone and the writing is going to be quite different and i think from new moon on it was either directed or written by men um so that's obviously going to give you a much much different depiction of these characters um and just a different vibe and tone overall but the first movie definitely kind of has that small studio feel to it um and it's i don't know like it's it's really fascinating when you when you think about that because like it turned into this you know massive franchise that grossed you know millions of dollars probably close to billions and it started out as kind of this you know small like little, little end, in, if I could share some, some, a little bit of Twilight history, because obviously we need some backstory, we gotta know, uh, the film was originally optioned to Paramount's MTV Films, with the script being a large departure from the source material, um, eventually the film was dropped by MTV Films and picked up quickly by Summit Entertainment, with Melissa Rosenberg and Catherine Hardwick as the screenwriter and director, respectively. Um, they, the duo of Rosenberg and Hardwick, they were pretty crucial, like I said, to the success of the first film. And it was mainly because they depicted Bella in a very specific way. The duo were responsible for a lot of the creative choices that people really admired in the film, which included elevating the narrative by having Bella narrate her thoughts and voiceover, which I don't think we get past the first film, um, which ultimately figures helps her to figure out that edward is a vampire pretty much um and i think it was and i say that it's indie not necessarily in the traditional sense of the word because it made 69 million dollars in its opening weekend at the box office that's a lot of money um and then it went on to you know build this whole franchise but indie and the fact that it was like had this really close attention to detail and really like methodical way of depicting this the story so we could go on twilight could deserve its own little spotlight but there's not enough hours in the day to go through all of what twilight was you know what i mean (laughs) Around this time also, vampire television had a really big boom in the late 90s and early 2000s, obviously coinciding with the resurgence in vampire films. And shockingly, the television resurgence of the vampire began with a show about a vampire killer, aka Buffy the Vampire Slayer, starring Light of My Life, Sarah Michelle Gellar. Shows like Buffy the Vampire Slayer were influential in expanding the lore of the vampire, which included those who sought out to destroy them, and it helped to popularize the supernatural genre as a whole. During this time, vampires also began to dominate the teen-slash-twenty-somethings audience with shows like The Vampire Diaries, The Originals, and my personal favorite, True Blood. These shows showed a softer and more sensual side of the vampire, and they did it often by having a human love interest be involved in the story that could also serve as an audience proxy. And they managed to also make their audience proxies, aka their main characters and the human love interests, the most annoying people on the planet. Yes, I'm talking about Suki Stackhouse. And I need to take a second. Because I love True Blood. I love that show. That was probably the first piece of vampire media that I saw. Um, the show, watching Interview with a Vampire, came very quickly after I saw True Blood. But I remember I was in, I think, it, like maybe sixth grade, sixth, seventh grade. The internet is truly my oyster. It is just there at my disposal. What else is an impressionable middle schooler supposed to do than look up the sex scenes in True Blood? What else was I supposed to do? I, okay, sue me, right? But in doing that also, I picked up the actual story and I began to watch it uh again via clips on youtube that's how this is how prehistoric we're getting here um this was before like copyright on youtube was not as big of a thing (laughs) and people would just post just whole episodes uh in parts on youtube whole episodes whole movies like you could watch pretty much anything on youtube at this point um so that's how i began to watch the show and then it wasn't until later that i realized that they were books um by Charlene Harris, called the Vampire Va- the Southern Vampire Mysteries. Let's start with the bad, and then we'll, we'll end with the good. With True Blood, the bad. I have never felt a more visceral sense of annoyance than I have with the character of Sookie Stackhouse. Anna Paquin, I'm sorry, you're amazing. I love you. I hated Sookie, <laughs> she was so annoying, oh my God. Like when they, we talk about characters who kind of have that like main character syndrome, the characters who think everything in the world revolves around them and when they sneeze, everyone must say, bless you, like type of thing. Like that that type of character was Sookie. Literally everyone was thinking about Suki and pining after Sookie, like every, every hot lead that came on that show wanted Suki. Why? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. And the whole like Bill and Suki and Eric love triangle made me sick to my stomach, made me sick, mainly because I wanted Eric for myself. <laughs> um, And truly Bill and Suki could have each other. Like I was so over them. Oh my gosh. But I digress. Anyways, True Blood is a show that was not perfect by any means, but it is a show that is so near and dear to my heart. I, it's the first, like I said, it's the first piece of vampire media that I remember just falling so like head over heels for. Um, and it was a lot more accessible to me than, you know, the movies. And it was nice to see the show that was kind of unfolding and every single week and I could kind of grow with it. Um, and I think I'm, I'm really due for a rewatch. At this point it's been a little while and i need to rewatch it but like i said it's a show that I, I i adore and i love it so so much and it's so crucial to like vampires and pop culture and kind of the vibe there um but anyways up until this point television vampires were taken relatively seriously and in recent times we've begun to poke a little bit of fun at our favorite vamps with series like what we do in the shadows What We Do in the Shadows is one of my absolute favorite pieces of vampire television uh, because it respects that vampires are sensual monsters while showing them being absolute idiots, too. It is such a good show. Um, It's on FX. It is a very weird show. Like How it started out in season one, and I would dare I say season two, is nothing like it is now. I think it's just wrapped up season four. Um, It is a very weird show you kind of have to just, you just have to take it in. It's just one of those shows where you're just like, okay, I just have to, I'm on the journey. I just have to, I have to go with the flow, you know? Like it it really is one of those, um, one of those shows. And it's like a mockumentary style show, which is one of my favorite styles of of shows ever. So a mockumentary starring vampires, I'm in, obviously. Like I'm very much in. Um, It's based off of a movie of the same name, what, what We Do in the Shadows, uh, by Tekka YtT and Jemaine Clements. And Jermaine Clements, I think he is like the creator of What We Do in the Shadows, the TV show. Um, and it's a it's a really phenomenal show. It kind of also brings in a bit of it's kind of a hodgepodge of a show where you have, you know, the focus on the vampires and their, their powers and they're these incredibly powerful beings. But like I said, they're also absolute idiots. Um, they introduced for me the concept of familiars, which I wasn't all that familiar, <laughs> no pun intended, with. Um, so the idea of familiars in the character of Guillermo um, and they kind of just, it just feels like a fun celebration of vampire media all wrapped up into a show. Like it's a comedic celebration of all things vampires, both the serious and the very silly. And it just feels like it straddles that line of uh, so, so well. So if you haven't watched What We Do in the Shadows, highly, highly, highly recommend it. But that also brings us into the other side of the coin with vampire television in the current landscape. Um, and what I mean by that is like the currently airing landscape, which is two shows are on air right now that have to do with vampires. So like I said, we're in a vampire renaissance, people. So, of course, we have Peacock's Vampire Academy, which is based off of a novel. All of these vampire shows, nine times out of ten vampire shows, vampire movies, they are coming from a, a book a book series, probably. Um, there, I forgot, oh my gosh, I almost forgot to mention, um, like I, with, when I was talking about the films, <laughs> The Invitation, um, which came out this year, starring, um, Thomas Doherty and Natalie Emanuel. I was recommended this. My, my friend, my mutual, uh, Megan, aka Jay Stoops, she texted me and she was just like, Bobby, you need to go see The Invitation. And I was like, okay, yeah, like, I'll, I'll go check it out. Um, and she was just like, no, like, it's, you know, it's like, if I saw this when I was 15, I would gobble this up. Like, it's, you know, it's about like vampires and stuff, which I didn't know that. Um The the marketing of that film, questionable at best, uh, because I had no idea that it was about vampires. And so I went to go see it, um, got myself a ticket. I was the only person in in the theater besides like a couple that came in. Um, It was like some teenagers. So obviously they were not there to watch the movie, clearly. So it was me by myself pretty much. And I sat there and I started watching this movie and I was like, oh my God, this is gonna be my personality for a long time, isn't it? And it did. It became my personality instantaneously. I think when the credits started to roll, I was like, wow, okay, yeah, I'm in it a minute now and the way that i know that i have been enamored fully by a story is well you know that feeling when you walk out of a movie theater and you feel like you're you're like a character in the movie like your your body is still there in the world of the story that is how i felt and i have not felt that feeling in a very long time i watch a lot of movies and tv especially now you know part of my job or whatever but I watch a lot of things now and I don't always walk away feeling that way like there are plenty of things that I truly enjoyed and I can say like oh I really love this and you know I walked away but I had it been a couple a couple of months and since I felt that visceral of an emotional reaction to something I think the last thing might have been um, everything everywhere all at once, which was a, a very emotional response but it i didn't feel like i was in the world of the movie it just got me emotionally but this was the first time that i had that feeling of like i'm still in the movie like i'm a character in the movie like that whole vibe and it was i think that was just really important to me because i don't know like that is such a such a lightning in a bottle feeling you don't always get it with every single movie that you watch even the ones that you really enjoy you don't always you know receive that, that feeling. So I, I really sat in that and I really enjoyed it. Um, I was in LA two or three weeks ago and I met up with some of my, my, my TikTok mutuals. Um, And I, we all like met up for the first time at Universal City Walk at Universal Studios Hollywood. And I was, we were eating dinner and I was just like, oh, you guys like want to, go see a movie? And they were like, yeah, sure. Um, and <laughs> I was like, well, The Invitation is playing. And they all knew that I love The Invitation. So they um, very sweetly agreed to go and watch The Invitation with me. They, for whatever reason, this was a very packed showing of The Invitation. Um, I don't know why, but we were only able to grab seats in the very first row. So we were like right up on the screen and everything looked distorted and crazy. But I still had a, a very fun time laddering back to what I was talking about. Um, we're we're definitely in kind of the, the present day of having, you know, multiple vampire TV shows on. And we have, like I said, Peacock has Vampire Academy, which is based off of a book. And my all time personal favorite right now, <laughs> like it is <sighs> Talk about a visceral emotional reaction. Um, my favorite AMC's interview with a vampire or AMC's and Rice's interview with a vampire. Oh uh, my gosh. I, I have not felt this emotionally just indulged, you know, by something, like I said, in a very long time. The invitation, that was just, I was really enthralled with the world, but the interview with the Vampire TV series. If you follow me on Twitter, I have again not shut up about this show. And it's because it has just got my brain. I feel like I'm unlocking parts of my brain that I have not used in probably ever. I just am so because I was already familiar with these characters, already have a reverence for and rise vampires. This show had to have been operating at a pretty high esteem for me to really enjoy it. And I have been hearing for months that they were coming out with an adaptation for for television and a lot of people were like oh are you gonna watch it you're gonna watch it and i was like oh i don't know you know because i'm not the biggest fan of of readaptations and you know sequels and you know reimaginings and stuff like that because i you know if you if i wanted to watch the original i would just watch the original you know what i mean but i Watched, I think it was like a I was mentioning this to someone and they were like, well, have you seen the, the trailer for it? And I was just like, no, I haven't seen the trailer. And so I watched the trailer and I was like, oh, wow. No, this is this is good. This is good. <laughs> this is really good. And so I waited with bated breath to watch the first episode and I watched it and I was floored. Not only is it just a really good adaptation, but my gosh, that that pilot was one of the best pilots I've ever seen. Like it is so it's so tight. It's so well done. Like, you get everything in one, one fail swoop. Like, it is just incredibly well done. Um, the performances are, are spot on. I've made a video talking about it, but the performances are so well done. Jacob Anderson as, as Louis Dupont du Lac and, um, Sam Reed as Stant de Lyon Court or Léon Court whatever. I'm not French. I don't know French, but, um, Both of them are just insanely good. (laughs) Like, I wish I had more words, but like, they're just insanely, insanely good in, in this, in this, in the show. And it's, like I said, it's characters that I'm very familiar with and that I enjoy, but it's kind of their versions and iterations of it have breathed new life. Like they've given just new life into this, into this world and I think it is perfectly straddling between you know paying you know tribute and homage to the book there are things in the show that are not in the movie but are in the book um there's a lot of like elements of it that I think were kind of masterfully dragged over um so like I said it pays homage to the original novel from 1976 but it contempt like it really contextualizes it for a modern audience, even though a lot of the time that we spend in the show is, you know, straddled between 2022 and like 1910, 1920, 1930. Um, and I think they do that mainly with the the casting of, of a black man as Louis. Because uh, if you remember, Louis is white in the novel and he's white in the movie because he's played by Brad Pitt. And he's also a slave owner in the in the book and in the movie. So the way that they, not f- fix it, but the way that they change it is having Louis be this, he's a black man in 1910's New Orleans. And when I say that, I don't mean that they just like made him black and they were just like, well, no need to worry about that slavery bit anymore. We're good. No, they... Actually, like they cast a black man and then go the extra mile of, hey, we're going to address his blackness within the context of the show. And then on top of that, honoring the queer roots of the original novel, um, because if you don't know, Lassad and and Louis are very much in a relationship. Is it a healthy one? No, but they're in one. Um, And they honor that in the show. So this is a black queer man in 1910s New Orleans who comes into this new sense of power, via vampirism and it is so masterful to watch how they are dealing with that like Lestat obviously is this like he's this French you know white man who's this you know hundreds year old vampire um and a lot of things he doesn't see the same way as, as, as Louie. And it comes up in their dynamic. They're an interracial, you know, queer relationship in this time where a lot of that might have been taboo. Um, but I think this is also where location plays a big role too, because they're in New Orleans, specifically this very specific district, um, around this time called Storyville, which was kind of like this, I think, 40 block land where you kind of, anything goes, you know, it was kind of an anything goes area. It was almost like a red light district. And it's actually really, really interesting. Um, I highly recommend looking it up um, because it has a very rich and deep history that just not a lot of people know about. So adding all those elements into this show and then presenting it while like paying tribute to the original text is not an easy thing to do, but they are managing to do it and do it well. Um, at the time of this recording, the uh, fourth episode of the show has come out, and that is when we meet Claudia. If you remember, Claudia was played by Kirsten Dunst in the nineteen ninety four version, um, and she is, I think, maybe like ten or eleven in that version. And in the book, she's five, which is a lot, uh, especially when you consider that she has a romantic relationship, kind of, sort of, with Louis, and it's weird it's weird but the show does a good job of portraying the problem that claudia has which is she is a woman trapped in a child's body she gets turned in the show she's i uh, think 14 and she gets turned when she's 14 so her body will remain that of a 14 year old but as she goes on she her mind and her spirit and her soul get older so she becomes a woman and she's trapped in this you know teenage body and so they deal with that in a really just like I think poignant way and I think the way that um Bailey Bass is who plays Claudia in the television version and she is so good like I watched the episode and I was just like whoa you know like you know you just ever see a performance you're just like wow that that was I'm I'm speechless I'm I'm shocked and I knew it was good because she made me really care about Claudia the character for the first time ever. Like I'm reading the book now. I saw the, the 1994 film and I liked Claudia because she was played by Kirsten Dunst. It's not that I liked Claudia, I liked Kirsten Dunst. But this is the first time that I've like seen a character that I've met so many times before and I finally fe- met a version of her that I really enjoyed. And her Bailey's version of, of Claudia is so, again, calls back to the original text but is she adds a different layer to her performance like she is much more she's playing claudia as much more jovial and bubbly and and fun and you can tell that she's just having fun on screen but then she has to get into those really heartbreaking recesses of the character she can and it's that up and down that does so well um with, with the character. So I could go on truly forever talking about Interview with a Vampire. Like there's so many things to talk about. The set design is absolutely incredible. I listened to a podcast with the production designer, um, and there's a companion podcast to the, to the show. Um, and I've listened to, to most of the episodes where they'll bring in the cast and then bring in an expert to talk about vampires or talk about the show specifically. And the, episode i listened to last night was the production designer for the show and i mean my gosh she knocked it out of the park like it was so it's so new orleans like it's so true to that to that city and the culture of that city but it also just feels like this otherworldly place and i think that is that's a mark of really good production design the costuming the suits that louis and lestat wear are just just chef's kiss, they're just stunning. They're just so well tailored and they look so good in them and everything. Ah, I don't know. So, like I said, I could go on, but uh, if there are many things that if you're into vampires, I'm recommending t- to you, anything that I've mentioned here, uh, but that is that's the overarching one. That's the one that I'm like, you gotta watch that one. That it's, I'm telling everyone that I know watch interview with a vampire on amc it's so so good um an amc or interview with a vampire if you want to work with me just let me know let me know i i can be a, a talking head i can grab coffee like no one's business like i am here for you my email is in the description box so just saying um, and that goes to anyone. If you want someone to talk about Interview with the Vampire, the TV show, the book, the movie, ad nauseum for a publication or whatever it is, I am more than available, too available, in fact. Uh, so just, you know, hit me up, reach out, let's let's work something out, you know what I mean? So shameless plug over. But that does bring us to the end of our episode. And you may be thinking, Bobby, there's so much more to talk about. I mean, we have not even gotten to the real root of why we love vampires. We haven't gotten to the vampiric, you know, heritage of vampire, like of, of the South and like, you know, vampires in Southern places and how that plays a role into the character. And we haven't even gotten to the fact that vampire, uh, a surge in vampire media oftentimes coincides with Economic collapse. We haven't even gotten to that, Bobby. Where are we going? Where are we doing? I have to cut things off. But like I said, this is part one. Part two. We're going into all of those things and more. Like I said, I have a really fun surprise for next week's episode that I think we're all gonna enjoy and I think it'll be fun. But yeah, consider this part one. We're gonna stop right here and then we'll pick it up next week talking all things vampires I hope you enjoyed this week's episode afternooners if you don't know The Afternooners is my name for all of us. So if you made it to the end of this episode, congratulations. You're an Afternooner now. If you like this episode, don't forget to rate and review this podcast if you had a good time. It helps out the pod. You get to tell me how you're feeling about the pod. And I get that sweet hit of praise and validation that is my life force and keeps me going. If you want to know where else to find me on the internet you can find me at the afternoon special on TikTok or instagram or over on twitter at hi i'm bobby where i am ranting about vampires 24 7. and if you're thinking bobby i need to watch every single vampire thing that you just recommended to me in this episode Bessie, i fully support that decision and so i put all of that information for you in the description down below just so you don't forget listening to quite a bit of music as i was doing this and the thing that this episode is powered by is the same as last week it's my vampire playlist i linked it um you can give it a little listen i think it's pretty good but um it's again blood in the wine is still what this episode is powered by blood in the wine by aurora uh very very good and another song that i consistently forget the name of uh, because it's very very long but it's also a really good song uh what is it it is beware the jub-jub bird and shun i think the from US something it's by wonderland um it's from the the album wonderland it's by forgive durden that's the band name so if you just look up Beware the Jub-Jub Bird by Forgive Durden, I'm sure you're going to find the song. It, but it's a really good song. Um, it's just a very long title. So yeah, this, this week's episode was powered by those two songs specifically. <sighs> so I hope you enjoyed part one of this week's chat and that you'll join me again next week for part two of another pop culture deep dive. Later days, friends.